Okay, I encourage you to take your Bibles once again. And uh, if you were in the Psalms, I encourage you to turn now to Luke chapter 3, the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. After the birth of Jesus and before the start of Jesus' ministry, we're sort of in that in-between time here um, where Luke tells us about the ministry of John. And, and we started last week by looking at John's important role as the one who prepares the way for the Lord, as it said in verse 4, which was quoting Isaiah 40. He's also described there as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And that's exactly where we find John. We find him here in Luke chapter 3, in the wilderness. And so we've been asking why it is that John comes before Jesus. And, and, and we wanted to look closely at why Luke takes a, a, a good amount of time here to explain John's ministry and who he was. And so we looked at the introduction to John there in verses 1 to 6, but we haven't yet heard this voice. John was to be known, especially in Luke's gospel, for what would emanate from his voice box. He'd be known for his message. In Matthew and in Mark, he was more known for baptizing. And while that comes up here in Luke, it's not what Luke highlights. Luke highlights his message. And so we want to be asking, what kind of audible words would come from this voice? What kind of message would this voice speak? Well, Luke did give us a summary back in verse 3. He says there that he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And that, we said, is good news. It addresses the greatest universal uh, spiritual human need, which is the forgiveness of sins. And that would be the desired outcome of John's preaching. He wanted people to know how they could be forgiven for their sins. And we know that forgiveness of sins can only come through the shedding of blood, ultimately, and finally, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be worked out in Luke's gospel as we come to the person of Jesus. But John was coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And part of that preparation involved proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We've been remarking that John is is sort of a representative of the first part of what, it re, of what it means to receive the gospel, which is that aspect of repentance. Back in Luke 1, verse 16, the angel promised, this is before John was born, that he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. To receive the forgiveness of sins requires people to turn. It requires people to repent, and John, fundamentally, was a preacher of that part of the gospel. He was a preacher of repentance. And like I said, John or Jesus would fill that out. And so we'll find out more about that in this section where he begins to speak. Next time, John is going to start talking about Jesus Christ as people start wondering if John actually is the Messiah. But in this section, we get a glimpse into the content of John's preaching. And we find out more about what he means by this idea of repentance. So follow along as I read, starting in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, and up to verse 14. 
He, that is John, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, here are his first words, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This is God's word. Well, one of the characteristics that's often held up for public speakers is to be winsome. And one of the strategies that public speakers are taught is to have a strong opening line, one that will catch the audience's attention and then hook them into listening to what you're about to say. So you've got you've to grab their attention and you've got to be winning. Be winsome and have a hook. Well, I'm not sure that John took any courses while he was out in the desert there on public speaking. His opening line was not winsome. It definitely would have gotten the audience's attention, but not for that reason. The first words we hear from the voice of one crying out in the wilderness is, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It's basically saying, You children of snakes, what are you even doing here? So maybe not a good opener. Doesn't really sound like a good way to win over your audience, yet John's message by Luke is also categorized as good news. If you peek down at verse 18, it says, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So this is included in that. So even though the opening line might not initially sound like it, John's voice spoke good news for all people. Repentance may indeed be a hard message. It may indeed be a challenging message. It may indeed be a convicting message. It may indeed be a confrontational message. But the preaching of repentance is good news. And it's good news because it leads to the forgiveness of sins. So, we've just come out of another week where it seems like our world is spinning out of control, right? We're all looking forward to 2021, and here it is. It's going to tell us pretty soon, right off the top, that it's not going to be a whole lot better than 2020 was. We've all watched and heard about and read about and um, seen the chaos down south and 
And uh, now lately in the last couple of days, we've seen the resulting censorship on free speech. Seems like it's quickly getting very scary out there. And lots of people are saying, how, you know, how's the, how should the church respond to all that sort of thing? Well, you know, we really could go down a number of different paths and make comments on politics and on morality and all those certain things. But really, when it comes down to it, nothing has changed in regard to the church's messaging in these days. The heart of the matter will always be that people need to hear the good news of the gospel. People need to get ready to meet the Lord. That, that is the message for our day. People need to take a hard look at their lives and to examine whether they are saved. We see what's going on in the outside, but the problem is on the inside of each of us. And it's getting more urgent, it seems, with every passing moment that people be ready, that people examine themselves to see if they're in the right relationship with God. And John gives us a good example of this kind of urgent preaching that would immediately shake the crowds out of any kind of complacency and help them to see where the real need is. His preaching would immediately stop his listeners in their tracks when they maybe expected another kind of message. He would immediately shock them with the reality of judgment and with the necessity of repentance as a way to avoid the judgment to come. This is what it meant to prepare the way of the Lord. And just a side note here, this is really just a sample of John's preaching. This is the way he preached for all that time leading up to the coming of Jesus. The tense of the verbs here in this section uh, tell us that this was not just one speech at one time, but this was the typical content of John's preaching ministry. This is representative of what he preached in those months until Jesus came out there in that area around the, the, the northern, northern tip of the Dead Sea. It was an urgent call for repentance as John would carry out his role to prepare people's hearts for the arrival of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at what was happening out there in the hot wilderness as John was preaching. Let's look at who was going out to him, what they expected John to say, and what he actually did say. The scene is set there in verse 7. Crowds came out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. And so, right at the outset there, it doesn't seem like that these crowds were, were interested in what he had to say, first and foremost. People in Jerusalem and all over Israel were starting to hear about this John and, and, and the fact that he had some ministry going, up, going on up there in the wilderness They had heard that he was preaching out there, and it's likely that they started anticipating that Messiah was about to come. That was the news that was starting to spread. This could be the time of Messiah. And they were ready for it. And and they'd do whatever had to be done to make sure that they were on the inside, that they wouldn't miss it. And if it was baptism, then they were prepared to do that. They didn't want to miss out on any of those messianic promises. Now the Jews, especially the religious Jews, figured that they already had their kingdom card. 
They were already in. They were already secure by virtue of the fact that they were Jewish, that they were Israel. They were God's chosen people, you see, and so they didn't have to worry about anything. But they heard that John was baptizing people out there, and so they thought if they needed to get baptized, if that's what he was doing, no problem. We'll just do that too. But John stopped them in their tracks by confronting them with the news that they were, in fact, not in. They could still get in, but they weren't there. He called them, you brood of vipers, not you children of the promise. Welcome here. You brood of vipers. Now, you just have to put yourself in their sandals. They were, they were coming out there to do something religious. And, and the first thing they hear from this preacher that they'd heard about is he addresses them First of all, it says, you, you brood of vipers. I'm sure they were thinking, like, what's with that? What gives? Did we really just come out all the way out here into this desert, into this wilderness to hear that? It's a pretty in-your-face, right-off-the-top reminder that the coming of Messiah was not going to quite be what they expected. Messiah was not some sort of a political savior that was coming to save their nation from Roman oppression. This was a personal savior that was coming to save people from their sins. And to get saved from your sins requires an acknowledgement that they're sinners and that they're on a path that's leading them straight to coming judgment where they would meet God in his wrath. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. John is basically telling them here that you've come for the wrong reasons, but you did come to the right place. And now that you're here, you're going to hear the right message. And here's what you need to hear. It's a message of coming judgment unless you repent. That's what Luke meant back in verse 3 when he said John came proclaiming a baptism of repentance. It was no cleaning ritual at all. Repentance is like an initiation, right, into salvation. It's where every sinner needs to start by recognizing that they have fallen short of the glory of God and that to continue on that path will only lead to judgment. If you want to receive forgiveness, it requires a radical change. A recognition that you're on the wrong path and that you need to get on a different path. That's repentance. And that's the kind of confrontational message that John preached and it's what sinners still need to hear today. And so the very first thing John told these crowds that were coming out to be baptized is that they were a brood of vipers, offspring of snakes. Now for the Jewish crowd, vipers and snakes and serpents were associated very unmistakably, to the devil. That's what he was calling them. In John 8, actually, he says that right to them, He's, to, to the teachers of the law, especially, you're, you're children of the devil. And he basically calls them out as exactly that. John doesn't start by softening up with platitudes. He doesn't say, you guys are pretty decent people. You know, I, I really appreciate how you guys are, are, are trying to keep Moses' law really tight. 
You've done all the religious duties, you go to all the feasts, you, you perform all the ceremonies, you, you're actually pretty outstanding. But, but, but there's just this one thing that I maybe just want to talk to you about. No, John doesn't do that. He goes right in and tells them that they are the devil's brood. And that they're headed for the wrath to come. They assumed they were on the right path. They were religious after all. They were Jews after all. But John shows them that they were on the total wrong road. They were headed toward the wrath to come. And yet, here they were. They had come to him. That was step one. They had come away from their normal lives. They had come out to the wilderness. But they sure didn't expect this. John's message would confront them with a true word about their condition as sinners destined for the coming wrath of God. That's the purpose of verse 7. He needed to show these people that they didn't just need to add some kind of religious ritual and some kind of ceremonial washing on the same road of their already religious lives. They needed a total reorientation and a total realignment. Far more than just another washing that would just be another checkpoint and passport stamp on the road toward God. A baptism of repentance would take them right off that road and get them heading in the opposite direction. And to get them there, John needed to confront them and to grab their attention and to rouse their dead consciences. And calling them a children of snakes on the road to God's final judgment would do the trick. That's the last thing that they were expecting, but the thing they most needed to hear. You see that in the middle of verse 8. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And John knew what their objection would be. He knew what they'd be thinking. Brood of vipers? God's wrath? No, that's not us. How could we be children of the devil when we're children of Abraham? We were born as children of the promise. We're, We're part of Abraham's seed. We are already in. We're safe. We're at home. We just need to keep on performing things and doing things, but we're in. Well, sometimes I wonder if we haven't moved too far from this. Our objection might not quite be the same, but I wonder if when it comes down to it, it, some of us maybe come to church every week thinking, I'll check that box. Or maybe you were born into a Christian family. Maybe you heard a gospel presentation that says something like, you know, just accept Jesus into your heart and he'll forgive your sins and, and then your life will be better and you can have everlasting joy and, and peace and, and all those things. And, and so you agree to that. Sure, I could do that. I could repeat that prayer. But that kind of approach doesn't go far enough back to deal with our sin. And, and so if any of those things describe you, maybe you need a jolt like this. You need to realize that you're rotten by birth. And that, and that you're a child of the devil and that God's wrath is on the way. We're all sinners by birth, hopeless to save ourselves. But the good news of John's preaching is that you can go from being a brood of vipers to a brood 
with God as your father. There is a way of escape. You can flee the wrath to come. How is that possible? Well, only by God bringing us to the place where we recognize our sin and where we deal with our sin. When John says, who warned you to flee from the wrath, of co- the wrath to come, I-, I think the answer that he's thinking, like he's thinking, why are these, how, what brought these people up here? I think his answer is that God led them out, of the wild- out to the wilderness to hear what John would tell them. Only God could do that. You can see that when he says, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. God is able. Now, in the immediate context here, that confronted the Israelites with the truth that it's not Jewishness that's going to save them from the wrath, of, wrath to come. But it also confirms that God brings the lifeless to life. He brings dead bones to life. He can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He causes us to be born again. That assumes that we were dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2 comes right out and says that. But God made us alive together with Christ. But when God makes us alive by His Spirit, the first thing He does is brings us to a point of repentance. That's the good news. When we come to see that we are headed toward, towards God's wrath, God shows us our need for repentance. And so John tells the crowds, be, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. To these crowds, he wanted to jolt them and rouse them out of their sufficiency in being descendants of Abraham. That wouldn't cut it. That wouldn't help them escape judgment. He says, even now, right now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees, ready to be thrown in the fire unless there's life in those branches and life comes, is recognized through fruit. What they needed was a changed orientation, a changed life. They needed to change from reliance on their heritage to save them from the wrath to come to reliance on the coming of Christ alone for salvation. Repentance would prepare them for putting their sufficiency in not their own merits, not their own descendancy, not their own ancestry, but in Christ alone. It wasn't just a matter of nationality. It was a matter of a changed heart. It was a matter of changed affections. It was a matter of a changed life because that's what repentance is. It's a total transformation brought on by God that bears fruit. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson defined repentance as a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed or outwardly reformed. It's a grace of God's Spirit. It comes from God. Romans 2 tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled humbled on the inside, and then outwardly reformed, visibly reformed. So it's seen, it's, it's observable. The crowd came out to a dry and barren wilderness, but John's preaching was intended 
to listen to this. It was intended to send them back to wherever they came from, changed, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And so some of them naturally asked, what then shall we do? That's the right question. Luke just loves that question. He shows up in, if you remember, in Acts 2, Luke's second edition, um, where he describes the growth of the church. The people, Peter preaches, the people are convicted, they're cut to the heart in their spirit. They, the, and, and then the first thing they ask is then, okay, you've got us, you've stirred our spirit, we recognize we're guilty. So what then shall we do? And Peter then says, repent and believe. And often you see that throughout Acts. This is what gospel preaching does. It, 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 it asks for a response. And so that's what the people do. What shall we do? What does this fruit look like? And John basically just gives them some practical advice here. We could summarize his answer like this. Don't go back doing the same thing that you were doing before you came out here. People that are in your life should notice that you have changed, that you are now a totally different person, that you are oriented now toward God's purposes, not towards man's purposes, and, and definitely not toward yourself. If you've truly repented, it's going to be noticeable. And so John starts talking about sharing clothes and food in verse 11 with those who have none. Those people... When you share their clothes with them, they're going to know that you have changed. They're going to know that you have repented. To people who collected taxes, he says, don't take more money than you're supposed to. Be fair. If you've been scamming them before and you're not, taking their, not doing that anymore, that'll be noticeable. To the soldiers, he says, don't try to pad your pockets through intimidation. You know, those people who you intimidated before, by force, by the show of your weapons or whatever you did and tried to try to get a little bit of extra money for yourself, they're going to know something has changed out there in the wilderness when you come back and you're not the same. Notice he doesn't tell the tax collectors or soldiers or to, to change jobs. He just tells them that repentance produces different kinds of people. It requires that you be a different kind of person in whatever setting that God has placed you. The point is, repentance will, repentance must lead to a changed life. It must give evidence that you have been convicted by your sins such that you have turned from your sins to embrace a new life that is marked with generosity and gentleness and grace toward other people where before you only cared about yourself. And so let me just say that it's necessary, repentance is necessary initially for salvation. All sinners must repent. John preached repentance. Jesus would preach repentance. But repentance also needs to be a continuing Christian posture and practice. Repentance isn't just something you do once and then you're done that part and you just go on. No. Repentance must be our posture and practice. We all need to be deeply troubled by our continuing propensity and tendency and inclination toward sin. We have received forgiveness, yes. Praise the Lord. But we need to 
stop in our tracks often or be stopped in our tracks often by the conviction of God's Spirit and take a hard look at our sin and then to often confess it before the Lord as David did in Psalm 32 or in Psalm 51 or in other places. The reality is we fail God. We don't love Him as we ought and we don't love His people as we ought to. And while we are no longer the brood of vipers that we once were, nor are we headed for the wrath of God as we once were, thanks to God bringing us to repentance and to faith in Christ alone, we must still hear John's preaching. We must still hear John's preaching and be convicted and challenged and be brought to a hard stop from whatever direction we're going so that we don't just keep on going in our sin. I thought about that even in my own life this week, having John's words floating around in my head. And I thought to myself, Sudfeld, sometimes you you sure look a lot more like the offspring of the devil than you do an adopted child of God. And that thought definitely served to stop me in my tracks and, and shocked me into a place of contrition and repentance, and and a desire to want to change and to confess my sins and to ask the Lord to help me and to change me and to to make me into a godlier husband and father and, and pastor. Thankfully, this is the kind of work, hard work, that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to do that in my life and He wants to do that in your life. He wants you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He does not want you to leave here today the same way as you came in. He wants you to change. And so I would encourage you to examine yourself and to ask the Lord to change you so that it is observable in the settings in which he has placed you to the people that he has put into your life. Maybe you've been shaken this morning into seeing the good news that you need to turn from your sins and to receive forgiveness from sins. Or maybe you've needed to see this morning that you're drifting away from God in in subtle but dangerous ways and that you need to repent and that you need to change direction. The good news is God is able. God is able. If God can turn stones into the children, into his children, he can bring you to a place of repentance. And God's forgiveness, of course, is always available. May he keep bringing us to a place where we bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that John preached this good news, that he was faithful to preach this good news, that you called him to preach this good news even though it was a hard message 
even though, as we see last week, it, it, it put him in prison, as, we see, oh, as we'll see next week, sorry, that it put him in prison ultimately and got him killed. Father, he was never afraid to confront people. May we be bold like that in calling other people to repentance, those that we love, those that we know that are around us that haven't yet come to know you. Those that maybe are prideful and need to humbly admit their sin and see their sin. Father, thank you that when you called us to yourself, you, have, you, you also brought us face to face with the reality of our, our own sin, with the reality that we have broken your laws and that the wages of sin is death. And that if our sin isn't dealt with, we were headed toward facing your wrath. And so we thank you for bringing us to a place of repentance and faith. And we thank you for this message. May we continue to have a humble posture of repentance and confession. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ the Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.